This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports Night. It's here at your fingertips or at the twist of a dial. Right. You guys can be part of the show if you want to be. You can. The uh, phone lines are open, 866-979-3776, 206-421-3776. What are you most excited to see in Week 2 with the Seahawks as they take on the Minnesota Vikings? We talked about this a little bit around 730. Uh, if you missed any of the first hour, you can check it out. Uh, download the Seattle Sports Night podcast, 710sports.com. Click on the podcast page. Uh, scroll down. We're there. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Google Play, really anywhere you get your podcast. We're on Spotify. Uh, I mean, there's there's no reason to not be downloading the Seattle Sports Tonight podcast anymore. <laughs> Don't say we didn't try to get it out to you. Uh, but the Seahawks, as they head into week two, there are plenty of storylines, even with the quarterback. Obviously, the starting quarterback situation is solved, and you've got Bobby Wagner under contract. Those question marks, they're gone. They're in the past. Now... There are a lot of question marks on the defensive side of the ball, which is interesting in the Seahawks under Pete Carroll and John Schneider because the defense is something that throughout their tenure you haven't really had to worry about too much. There hasn't been a huge question mark surrounding multiple positions on, uh, on multiple spots on the defense in so long, probably like the 2011 season, maybe the 2010 season where... You didn't quite know where your pass rush is going to come from. It reminds me of what year? What year did Chris Clemens get traded here? I think that was what twenty ten or twenty eleven. It was one of those years where you didn't know where any sort of pass rush help was going to come from. He then comes in, gives the Seahawks. I think it was like nine sacks, ten sacks in his first season. Yeah. here in Seattle, I think the defensive line is is at a position where we could see somebody who's very unheralded right now step into a role where just based off of the lack of other guys here, they get a ton of playing time. I look at Jacob Martin. Maybe he could be in that role. We've heard from, I think it was Ken Norton Jr. saying that Jacob Martin's going to get sacks this year just simply off of effort alone. This is a guy that goes every single play. He doesn't take plays off. Right. And he, he's just a hard worker, and that's how it goes. I mean, who knows what Ziggy Ons' health is going to be like. We've heard some encouraging things that he he could be ready by week one, uh, but there's no Frank Clark. We don't know what LJ Collier's health is going to be like come week one. Hopefully he's ready to go by then. Maybe week two is when he comes back. If they can get somebody else to emerge besides Collier and Ansa, yeah, I think it puts the Seahawks in a great spot to make a run at a, at a playoff spot. It certainly does, and you have to look at this as this group has to perform by committee. This can't be a couple guys dominating the show. I, I can't sit here and say Ziggy Ansa is going to give you 10-plus sacks. I can't sit here with good conscience and just throw that out there like it's going to happen. We don't know how he's going to be uh, health-wise, not just when does he come back, but can he stay healthy throughout the entire season, right? So that's that's a big uh, factor in that, um, and, and Jacob Martin and uh, L.J. Collier, as you as you mentioned, but I think one guy that it has kind of gone under the radar a little bit in terms of how important that signing was was Cassius Marsh, 
And he came off a season, his best season yet as a pro, five and a half sacks. He's been a guy who has been here uh, for the Seahawks, uh, was a draft pick for the Seahawks and here for three years and then gone on to play um, for the Patriots and for the 49ers and coming back now as a veteran in this league and a guy who uh, is going to be assignment sound and play with high energy and high effort. So I think across the board from this defensive line, Puna Ford, another guy, I think this group can get get it done. And if you can have you know three guys, four guys that really emerge and stand out, I think that's what this group needs for it to get to the playoffs. Ken Norton Jr. spoke today to the media at Seahawks headquarters talking about the health of his defense with Bobby Wagner out, LJ Collier out, Zig Yance out, talking about just how it's going to be when he gets all of the starters back. Like I said, we haven't had the entire group together. You know, going all the way back to the spring with Bobby being out, KJ out, Ziggy out, uh, uh, Jay Reed in and out, out Woods in and out. So it's been kind of uh, Mitch Mack with us and, and, uh, and Bradley McDougal. So uh, as they come back and as the season uh, wears on and preseason gets later, I think that uh, once we get closer to the, uh, you know, to the beginning of the season, we'll have the whole group together. I think he does bring up a good point because right now you look at the defense and what it is, what we saw out in week one, it's not going to be what the Seahawks are at full strength. It, it can only get better, and what we saw in Week 1 against the Broncos was a pretty solid effort put forth by guys who probably aren't going to be, at least the majority of guys we saw in the Week 1 starting lineup, aren't going to be relied upon every week to play starter minutes. I think you're going to see a lot of guys, like you mentioned, Bradley McDougal, Bobby Wagner, just these guys who we've come to know over the last couple of years, Bobby Wagner obviously for the better part of the last decade. Right. And they're just solid dudes, and you don't have to really worry about them. I think that's going to be that's going to put me way more at ease right now when those guys are healthy than if you roll out this lineup that we saw week one of the preseason in week one of the regular season against Agreed. Cincinnati. Agreed. The, the other thing that you have to look at is the secondary. And so far from what we saw in week one, it was very encouraging, Curtis. Like, I, I was very encouraged by what we saw in particular from Trey Flowers and Shaq Griffin. Shaq Griffin was a guy that, look, I've been as hard on Shaq Griffin as anybody in this building. Um, and I think it's just the reality. It's not going out of my way. It's just he didn't have a good year last year. And he needs to step it up. And if this team wants to ultimately get to where they want, and that is the Super Bowl, Shaq has to be a, a pivotal piece to that. And you saw him playing with more instincts and more confidence and driving on a curl route, knowing that, hey, there's certain markers for receivers to stop at, at you know, five yards, 12 yards, 16 yards, and, and so forth. And he, and he was sitting right at those certain markers and playing the ball. Those are things that you love to see. Trey Flowers being physical and continuing to play on the ball. Uh, so th- if those two guys can continue to grow and have better seasons than what they had last year, it's, it's going to be very positive. And then the safety position is one that was of great concern coming into camp. But I tell you what, Curtis, it's a group that I'm actually really excited about because as of right now, there is some awesome competition going on for that safety spot next to Bradley McDougal. With Delano Hill, or Lano Hill, sorry, coming back. I got to get that right. Lano Hill. Uh, Shalom Luwani, who I thought has played really well uh, through training camp. Um, Deshaun Shedd, who brings you a lot of different 
Uh, he's a Swiss Army knife to that secondary. Tedrick Thompson and Marquise Blair playing as fast, as instinctual as he did in week one. I mean, the best player is going to emerge and play for this group. And if Marquise Blair can play as fast and as instinctual as he did, but be a Simon Sound, he will be the guy next to Bradley McDougald. If he can't, if he can't do it, I would assume that Tedrick Thompson would be the guy they roll out for week one. The lasting impression of Marquise Blair after the week, after week one was that massive hit. He laid out, got the penalty on it. Uh, here's what Blair had to say about that penalty. Is there anything you should have done differently on that hit? Um, I don't know. I haven't had an yeah. explanation yet. So. Okay. Yeah. What did you see on the play? What did I see? Yeah. I saw the ball and I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> That's That was your reputation, obviously, coming in. You, you like yeah, to yeah, hit. yeah, definitely. Um, I like hitting. I like hitting. <laughs> I mean, that's what you want out of your safety. That's what you Absolutely. want. Especially in this defense where Cam Chancellor over the years was that guy that people were so afraid to go over the middle against. And it changed how offenses would game plan against the Seahawks defense. If you can have a thumper like Marquise Blair back there, who if he can give you a fraction of what Cam Chancellor gave you, we're talking about a, a Pro Bowl level safety. And I mean, a second round pick. The Seahawks don't normally use picks in the draft that high on members of the secondary. I believe he was the highest picked guy in the secondary since Earl Thomas was a first round pick in 2010. Yeah, which. I think speaks to the level of expectations they have for Marquise Blair. And I mean, his first, first game out of the gates, if you're out there, you know, leveling guys like that, I mean, imagine what he's going to be like a year or two down the road when he has a lot of those rough edges smoothed out to where he's not getting flagged for those kinds of hits, but he's staying within his means and and within the the grounds of the game. Right. I think he came away feeling good about it. Pete Carroll certainly walked away feeling very excited about it, and for good reason. What you saw in your evaluation, watching his tape, seeing him in person, you saw that come through in this game, the week one of the preseason. You saw Marquise Blair Blair play fast, instinctual, be a sure tackler, make his presence known over the middle. All the things that you wanted to see flashed. And all the other things, you can coach up. And like you said, smoothing out the rough edges, that's what this organization does better than anybody else. And so for that reason, I'm very excited to see what Marquise Blair can ultimately be. It's a question of how quickly can he get there, and can he get there by week one? That's the big question moving forward. Curtis, you know what, man? I am very excited about this next segment that we're yeah. going to have, this conversation. It is fascinating, and uh, you've got a different outlook on than I've than I've ever heard anybody talk about the XFL. I Yeah, so Oliver Luck, he spoke today to Colin Cowherd. He talked about the pool of players that they're going to be picking from and why the NCAA might be the better target for spring football leagues to go after rather than the NFL. I'll tell you why next. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Big if true coming up in 15 minutes. College game day. They've got some rules now, at least for this first week of shows 
that could have a very big impact on a staple of that broadcast. Right. There, there's probably major outcry. I would imagine so. We're just, I don't know if we're, I think if they're doing it this uh, on the 24th. Okay. Because you've got Miami taking on Florida, and that is the opening game of the season. Okay. You've also got uh, Myers on Wildcats taking on the Hawaii Warriors that night. Oh, big yeah. matchup. I mean, big time you, matchup. You don't just walk into Aloha Stadium expecting <laughs> a win. So uh, that's coming up uh, next Saturday. But yeah, their first show is, uh, what, nine days from today. And it could have rippling effects out here in the state of Washington. We'll get into that coming up in about 10 to 15 minutes from now. But XFL Commissioner Oliver Luck, who has been making the media rounds at every uh, at every turn, promoting the XFL and what the game is going to be like and, and what their intentions are and how they're going to go about building uh, the league and stocking the talent pool. They've even dipped into Seattle sports at night for their talent pool. That's how big league we are. Whoa. I mean, I mean you should know. It's you we're talking about. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, you know. But uh, today, Oliver Luck joined Colin Cowherd on uh, Fox Sports Radio, and he talked about how deep they're going to go into the talent pool to stock up their league, going so far as to saying we're going to add college players. So we are not subject to the NFL's eligibility rules, which, as you know, and most everybody knows, is three years out of high school. We're not a party to that agreement. That's the NFL's CBA, Collective Bargaining Agreement. So we can sign and will sign college players. I don't think we'll have that many this first go-around, our first year. But I think as the college players realize the quality of play, the quality of coaching, that they can use our league as an opportunity, I think that we'll begin to see uh, much more interest coming from guys who might have played a year or two years in college. I listened to that, and a few things got me got me thinking today. I listened to that, and I say previous spring football leagues have had their target competition directed in, in the entire wrong direction. Most spring football leagues either A, want to be a feeder league for the NFL or want to go up against the NFL and take it on head-to-head. Right. The NFL has shown time and time again it is impenetrable from competition from other football leagues, especially spring football leagues that are you know just starting up and they're in their infancy. You cannot outspend the NFL. You can outspend the NCAA and what you're giving to players. You look at Trevor Lawrence right now, who many people look at as the best quarterback in college football. He is a true sophomore, which means he is not draft eligible until 2021. You are the GM of an XFL franchise, and you're looking to make a splash. And Vince McMahon says, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you the, uh, as much cash as you want right now to go out and, and fill out your roster. You get a hold of Trevor Lawrence, Clemson quarterback, and say, I'm going to give you a million dollars if you come join my franchise right now. And you play a couple years, and then after those couple years, we'll give you whatever it is that you want. Or you can go to the NFL after that because you still have to be three years removed from high school to play in the NFL. 
but if you lose your draft eligibility by playing in the XFL, it's not like the NFL is going to say, no, we don't want you. The NFL wants the best players possible. And if one of those guys happens to be on an XFL roster, the NFL is going to try and do whatever it takes to get that guy to come play for you. If you're not subject to the draft in the NFL, that means you're also not subject to the rookie wage scale. Right. Which means Trevor Lawrence, if he does go the route of the XFL and plays for a year or two there, he could make whatever it is that he wants right, to, with any team that has the salary then cap he would become Because then he would become a free agent and then be able to negotiate his own deal and pick his own teams. So that part of it, that way of thinking, Curtis, is, I mean, that could blow the doors off of this whole outlook for college players. And ultimately, some of the best, uh, the best players uh, in college football. Um, it, it's one of those things that if you look at it, uh, it's going to be very hard. You're not going to get a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Um, one, I think he's a kid that doesn't seek out money. He's not a kid that uh, is looking at the pro aspirations of things. And so far, Clemson has been pretty good to him. So uh, staying there for one more year is is probably in his best interest and in what he ultimately is going to do. But there are going to be other kids, other players, other positions that are absolutely going to go, you know what? This school is putting my jersey up in the in the student hall. They're making so much money off of me in game day. Heck with this. I want to get paid. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get paid for a year. I'm going to continue to develop. I'm going to play at a professional league where I only have to focus on football, right? And I can get myself prepped for the NFL and and get myself into the best possible position um, to move forward and get paid along the way. So they're definitely going to have opportunity. And I think, like you, Curtis, that this is the best route not to go up against the NFL not to compete necessarily with the NFL, but to be another training ground like college football uh, for the NFL in terms of having a, 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 a league of not necessarily amateur players because they're getting paid, but amateur players. Yeah. Right? Guys that are trying to get themselves into the NFL. And if you want the best talent for your league in the XFL and you can't convince people to leave the NFL for your league – Go out and get a guy who was labeled a five-star recruit or a four-star recruit that says, you know what, I'm tired of playing in college, like you said, and, and seeing my likeness get you know, benefited off of from people that make way more money than I, than I do right now. The XFL is in a position to really change how talent is dispersed through the football world. Now, people are wondering, would this kill college athletics or at least college football no because you look at the nba when they didn't have the one and done rule when the best players went from high school t directly to the pros when lebron james and dwight howard and amari stoudemire and kevin garnett all those guys made the leap from preps to pros yeah march madness was still as big as it ever it was it, you still had those guys going to college for four years you still had these programs that brought in great recruiting classes regardless of who was going pro and who was going to college. I mean, you look at the college game, people will watch it in these towns regardless of who's on this who of who's on the team. Right. Obviously they want the best player, but whoever's the best player wearing their jersey is going to get their attention. And that's really what it's about. It's not necessarily they're watching Husky football because of a certain player. 
They're watching Husky football because it's Husky football. Yes. And and it will not get affected. I agree with you on that. And I think the biggest thing, like Oliver Luck said, which is very smart, is having the understanding that they're not going to be able to pull away. They're not going to be able to pull away uh, college-level talent this year. There is a there is a situation where you have to look at the product. You have to look at, is this league truly going to last for multiple years? And is this something that I can risk investing in, investing my time, my development into this league, that it's going to be there, that I'm going to get great coaching, um, that I'm going to have the organizational support around me on top of getting paid? Because you're taking a huge risk of not going to college football, going the traditional route, not earning your degree, right? Um, and so you have to make sure that this organization is structurally sound for years to come. You look at in college basketball right now, and you've got a lot of guys nowadays taking that risk and going overseas and playing a year before they become draft eligible in the NBA. That opportunity doesn't exist in college football right now. And if it does exist with the XFL, I, I think it's only I think it can only be a good thing for the sport because not only are those guys getting competition against players that are probably maybe better skilled than we, what you would face in conference play in college football. I mean, these are guys that are playing professionally and probably have spent time in the NFL. And if you make an NFL roster, I mean, you're better than than just about every football player on the planet. It's the, the common comparison gets made. Oh, could Alabama beat you know the New York Jets? No, because yeah. the New York Jets are full of 53 NFL players. Alabama's roster has maybe 25 to 30 guys who could go on to play at the next level. Right, and the other part is maybe make a roster, but to start and be yeah. an impactful player in the league, that's a different question. So I, I fully agree with you on that, and you're going to have a really good mix of both of of college players Talented college players coming coming and making the roster, uh, and then NFL guys who are on that bubble, um, continuing to try and make the NFL, but coming back to the XFL. So it's going to be a really cool product that they're going to put out there, and it'll be really fun to watch to see what this ultimately becomes in year one. And just like the AAF, I think the XFL is really benefiting from the AAF, and I know that's funny to say. It's not the competition or lack thereof. It's the fact that the AAF football-wise and TV-wise, it was an amazing product. It looked yeah. really, really it good. It was watchable. Exactly. So now you're seeing, now as a as a uh, free agent, right, sitting on the couch going, man, I don't know what this league was going to be. You watch it and go, wow, that's legit. Okay, that looks legit. Now you know that the XFL can can deliver on that same level of product on the field and TV-wise for exposure, it's worth the time and the opportunity. So you're going to have more free agents willing to dive into the XFL, and now it's the same thing a year out from these college players watching and going, oh, that actually looks pretty cool. Oh, I could get paid? Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, this league's going to be around? Sure, sign me up. A couple of great texts coming in on the Coors Light text line. 710-710, it's always there for you, the 360 says the XFL could be really great for junior college football players that don't have the academics to go to Division One. Think of the last chance you players. Yeah, watching that show, I mean, those rosters are full of former four- and five-star guys that for whatever reason 
didn't make it their first go around at the Division One level, this gives them an opportunity to continue playing the game if academics aren't necessarily their main focus. Uh, you know, in order to gain playing time, mm-hmm. you can go out there and and make a buck and, and you know get yourself ready to go pro if it is the NFL where you choose to go. I think the XFL is, I mean, maybe a year from now after they play their games, we look back on it and say, boy, you know, what a disaster that was. But I think you look at the history of spring football leagues in in America, they're in a better position to succeed right now than I think any previous league before them, including the first ever XFL. Because you look at what they did back in the year, I think it was 2001 when that league existed, there are things that are used in the NFL nowadays that originated from that very first go-around. So it's not like what they did. I mean, everybody talks about, oh, you had the scantily clad cheerleaders and the ridiculous way to determine who had possession in games and whatnot. But, (laughs) I mean, it left an impact on a lot of people. It was only around for one season. Right. I think I... I think it lasts. I think there's a second season of the XFL coming up. Yeah. I, I think they make it through year one, and I think they have a second season. Well, the biggest thing, first and foremost, for all of that to happen is this is a league that finally has financial backing. Financial backing is not a question. It is whether or not Vince McMahon actually follows through on what he has said that he has a three year plan fully invested financially, and if he wants to go through with that. And I think ultimately it determines on, uh, the obviously, the fan interaction, uh, the TV ratings, and if, if those things are promising, this is going to continue without a doubt. We've got options, folks. Always good to have options. Coming up next in Big If True, ESPN. They've got some rules for college game day in week one that could have a huge impact in Washington. We get into that next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Eap, 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Having some fun tonight on this Thursday night. The guru, Jake Heaps, and myself, Curtis Rogers, we are here with you on Seattle Sports at Night with you for a little less than a half hour remaining. We need your text questions to the Coors Light text line 710-710 uh, for Ask Us Anything. That's coming up at 845. Uh, but as we do each and every night at 830, we give you Big If True. And tonight's comes to us from the set of the very first college game day broadcast this season. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did, did he, he say, say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Big If True comes to us from Disney World in Orlando, Florida. You ever been to Disney I've World? Definitely been to Disney World. It is the greatest place on earth. I've yeah, I've been Have to Disney been World. I've so I went to Disneyland in July. I believe that evens it out now. I've been to Disneyland as many times as I've been to Disney World now. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Look yeah. at you. I've been man. to both. I'm, I'm a well traveled guy. Yeah. Have you been to Universal? I have not. Wow. Wow. We're, well, we were a Disney family. Okay. I know. Yeah, I get that. But Disney, you could go to Disney <laughs> World and you could go to Universal while you're there. Universal to me is like 
Disney World is an amazing place, but Universal is the best if you want to do like, like the big thrill rides. rides. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, this Saturday, or not this Saturday, on uh, August 24th, so n- not this Saturday, but the next one after that, College Game Day will be broadcasting from Walt Disney World. And in anticipation of the Miami of Florida against Florida game, which will open up the college football season. Disney World has some rules about what you can and can't bring in to their park. Sure, of course. Safety first. If you want to get up close to the college game day set, if you want to be there, you have to buy a park admission ticket right off the gate. Right off the, the gate. That's all you got to do uh, to get in the park. But it's pretty pretty pricey. $109 will get you into the park for that day. Just the Magic Kingdom. The rules on what you can and can't bring in to the park include you cannot bring in flags, banners, signs, horns, whistles, large megaphones, and artificial noisemakers. Those are all prohibited at Disney World. I feel like all of those things are staples of the College Game Day broadcast. <laughs> I would say so. Like, how That's going to be the most boring broadcast ever. It is. And the first thing you can't bring in is a flag. What is one of the most known things of the College Game Day broadcast? It's Old Crimson. It's the Washington State flag that flies high above the set every single week. It's done so right. for 224 consecutive airings. They did a massive, massive show, obviously when game day came to Wazoo, about the history of Old Crimson. Yeah. It is flown on an aircraft carrier. They did a show from an aircraft carrier. They managed it they managed to sneak it on and, and get it flying that Saturday. But apparently Disney World could be where it stops. I don't know. I don't know. Like is it worth it for ESPN to end a tradition that has been going on now for what two hundred? That's like almost a that's a decade plus of this tradition. It's not worth it, ESPN. <laughs> like you I'm gotta, sorry, you got to figure this out, okay? I, like I know corporate Disney wants you to do it at Disney World, and and they want to show off you know, all that you can do at Disney World and tie it in somehow to the college football world. And that you've got two teams in the state of Florida that have huge fan bases and and are big time players in the college football world. But think of Washington State here. And I think this is something that not just Cougs are, are obviously behind, but I think other schools in the Northwest when they see the Coug flag fly, I mean it, it, it's not like something like, oh get that off my TV it's just like, oh, there it is. Again, it, it's something, it, it's familiar. And I say this as somebody that roots for another Pac-12 school. Like, I have no ties to Washington State or anything, but it's always a good sight when you see that flag flying on college game day. I, I would agree. It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and and I think that's the, the fun part of college game day. Now, Curtis, you can't tell me, okay, you cannot tell me that – I mean, I don't know what they plan on doing with Old Crimson. I would assume that someone would find a way to try and sneak it onto the set or something. Yeah. But, like, with the signs, I mean, the signs are half the fun of college game day to, yes. to, to see, you know, what clever things people came up with. Because some people come up with the funniest signs <laughs> on college game day. And some uh, irreverent signs that you just yeah. can't believe that that's being shown right now uh, in the background. But 
uh, overall, you you can't lose the flavor of college game day. Then it becomes sterile in my mind. You can sneak the flag itself in, probably like if you hide it underneath your shirt. You can't really sneak a pole in. They have metal detectors now going into the parks. So that's going to be the toughest thing in getting the flag uh, up in the college game day broadcast. Now, the Old Crimson official account uh, on Twitter, the verified account, says uh, they tweeted out two days ago. They say, relax, folks. I've already been to Disney World before. Isn't that right? And they tagged the Washington State president, uh, Noel, uh, President Schultz. Uh, and then uh, they you know, they talked to, uh, what was it? Hey, Walt Disney World, you're going to fly the Old Crimson atop Cinderella Castle. And so they photoshopped a picture of Old Crimson flying atop Cinderella's castle at Walt Disney World. <laughs> it, I mean, what I think whatever it takes, they're going to find to get, a way. Yeah, I mean, you can't just let this happen without a, putting up a fight. I mean, it, it's it's just like it's a tradition in college football. What are some of the best traditions in college football? I think you can put Old Crimson. Among that list, you've got... Well, I mean, yes, it is. I mean, it's cool, but, like, some of the best traditions in yeah. college football? Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know if you could put it up like it that. It certainly has the most, like, legwork and most effort put into it. Sure. I would agree with it's, that. There's much more effort put into that than Notre Dame slapping the play like a champion sign today. Yeah, but that is that is history. That is embedded into college football. I wouldn't say Old Crimson's flag is embedded into the history of college football. Yeah, I mean, it might be years from now. I, you know, it's no, no way. Uh, it's Curtis, no, get the heck out of it's here. It's no rubbing, what is it, Howard's Rock at Clemson as they yes. walk down the hill. I always worry that like a Clemson player is going to trip and fall and then like roll, tumble down. Yeah, the that hill. thing is so steep. Yeah, like I mean, that's that. It's college football. All the great fight songs, all the great traditions, the runouts. I'll say this: the beauty of college football is just the ridiculous traditions. You've got West Virginia; they burn couches after games. That's <laughs> that's a great one that I can get behind. I'm I'm all for that. Let. Let everybody burn a couch at once in their life. I mean, yeah, sure, yeah. Just get it. We got to do it. I haven't done it, Curtis. So I haven't either. But I I would love to. Maybe after the show, we'll we'll do that. Yeah, there's probably a couch around this building that has seen better days. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think uh, I don't think anybody around here would mind. Uh, Yeah, we got security cameras around the (laughs) building though, so I don't know if that's gonna work. Uh, but yeah, that's tonight's big if true. Disney World maybe putting the kibosh on Old Crimson. Here's here's my prediction. Okay, Old Crimson is going to fly. Yeah, it is going to be up there. College Game Day. They will find a way. This this crew, this group of people, have been so determined to make this last. They have found so many ways to get that thing up there, and in, in circumstances that you never thought, Curtis, that they could pull off. I don't think this is going to stop. I uh, College Game Day came to the University of Arizona, I think it was like three or four years ago, and in route to Tucson, Old Crimson got lost in like luggage going from, I think it was like Starkville, Mississippi, to Tucson, which is not a, a daily flight that is available <laughs> <laughs> in either airport, and so it got lost. So, I mean, with that, you know, with that working against them, they were still able to find it and get it up. 
So, I mean, there's there's hope. There's hope, and I hope that it is able to fly on August 24th. We need your text questions. So the Coors Light text line, 710-710, as we wrap up Seattle Sports tonight with your questions. Ask us anything on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports at Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle with you for just a, a few more moments on this Thursday. If you missed anything, check out the podcast page, 710sports.com. It is time for your text questions to the Coors Light text line, 710-710. Ask us anything. From the 253, why can't y'all go until 10 p.m.? We cut the check, 253. Cut, <laughs> cut the check. We'll be here till 10. We'll be here all night. Give us another hour. Yeah, we'll be here for sure. From the 813, they say, holy smokes, I went to ASU, then graduated from Florida State. Why do I like you guys? Jokes. Great show, though, fellas. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, um, unfortunate for you that you went to both of those universities. Yeah. Um, we still like you. We appreciate you listening. Yes, we do. We um, absolutely do. Yeah, which one was your favorite? Was it ASU or was it FSU? Those are two party schools. Like those yeah, it, hard Clearly, this guy has, he has a type. He has a type of college that he likes to attend. Uh, let's see here. From the 360, who's cooler, Brock or Salk? Oh, gosh. I mean, they're both equally dorky in their own right. Correct. Like, I mean, you're never going to look at either one of them and be like, oh, man, they are the coolest guy in this room. Wow. <laughs> but, I mean, Brock does have the former NFL quarterback on his resume. Yep. College, you know, broadcaster. Uh, a lot of cool things about that. Mike is our boss, yes. so we got to keep that in mind. Very cool. Speaking on that, yeah. I would say Mike Salk <laughs> is the coolest. Oh, yeah. The absolute coolest. But, I mean, if we're talking who's cooler, I'm, I'll, I'll go Brock. <laughs> okay, all right. Just keep it 100. Although Brock came out, you and I were together at a practice, and Brock came out with an interesting yeah. outfit choice. He was wearing what looked like it could have been described as either khakis, or not khakis, capris, Short pants. Yeah, I think they were those Lululemon jogger type of deals. Yeah. Yeah. And then he tucked in a polo into them, and he had his Nike Air Max 720s on. Right. So there was conflicting looks and like swagger points that were just, you know, once you tuck in the polo with that look right there, you kind of lose all the swagger points that you're trying to get. You know, I know he's got the hip shoes and the hip pants. (laughs) He kind of lost it there, Brock. So, you know, it's it, try and pick a different look next time. Yeah. I mean, we're just looking out for you, buddy. Yeah, we're, we are, we're, we're only here for you. We're absolutely looking out for you. Uh, let's see here. From the Coors Light text line, uh, ranked from worst to best, your opinion about the amusement parks in California. Uh, I've been to Great America which is across the street from the 49ers stadium in Santa Clara. Okay. It's a really good one. It's got Top Gun, the the ride, Top Gun the ride. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, really good, really good place to go. Disneyland, I was just there. Fun, fun time to be had. 
California Adventure, do you consider them separate theme parks, Disneyland and California Adventure, or are they kind of under the umbrella? To me, Disney. they're under the umbrella. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I view it. But, you know, I could be experiencing that whole thing completely wrong. Of course, you got, uh, isn't Six Flags Magic Mountain there? Magic Mountain? Yeah. I don't know. I think it is. Okay. I think All right. It's in the state of California somewhere. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll I, put Great America a, last on that list, even though it's it's a solid theme park for what it is. Yeah, I'm not I'm not as privy to all the different theme parks. I would just say when you're talking about Disneyland and Disney World and everything that surrounds both of those cities, I would say that Disney World, Universal, Legoland, all those places are better than Disneyland. Mm. That might strike up a lot of controversy, but I, I will stand on that. That is a hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> From the 253, what's the, strain, what's the strangest punishment your parents ever gave you? <sighs> strangest punishment? I, I just know that like some of the weird rules we had, we weren't allowed to watch Rugrats. Because uh, you know they're really bratty. Like they're not like yeah. That was I think Angelica was the reason why we weren't allowed to watch it in the Rogers. Yeah, house. they don't really listen very well. But spoiler alert: uh, whenever my mom was gone, my dad would let us watch. <laughs> I don't think he really cared. He's like, yeah. dad's weird. for the win. Yeah. So I mean, we 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 were able to we were able to watch it whenever mom was gone. Interesting. Yeah, I, I watched that. Uh, might explain a lot of things about me, I guess. Um, let's see. Any weird? Did you ever get like things taken away from you because of my parents you weren't did? really really about that. Like they weren't really like you know, hey, we're gonna take your phone, we're gonna take this and that away from you. It was more of just, I guess, like I couldn't see my friends. I think was the bigger punishment, you know. So. Nothing weird though. Nothing weird or out of the ordinary. Yeah. Uh, from the from our buddy out in the eight one three, they're wondering could Puna Ford become Brandon Mebane two I sure hope so. That would be a great. That's a great career. That's a decade plus in the NFL. Everybody's looking for that. I'd be sign me up for that. Yeah, man. Uh, more questions to the uh, Coors Light text line here. From the 425, how do you socialize at a party where you only know the host? I look for the dog or cat that they own. Play with <laughs> clutch, that. Clutch move right stay there. Stay near the, the punch bowl and stay near the uh, the food. Yes. Because, I mean, if you don't have anybody to talk to, at least you can go and, and just fill up on chips and salsa. Correct. And I'm not, like, the most social person. Like, I'm not going out of my way to try and talk to new people and, and do all that. So I, I think those are all very vet moves there, Curtis. Uh, you know, and also if there's, like, any kids around. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. there's any kids and they're playing games, like, I think one of the quick ways to win over a crowd is show them you're good with kids. Exactly. That's how you do it. Uh, some more questions on the Coors Light text line. The 2020s begin in a little over four months. What is one thing you'd like to leave behind in the 2010s? Hmm. One thing I'd like Facebook. to Facebook. I, wow. I am okay, okay with leaving Facebook, Facebook back in the behind. 2010s. Okay. I, I am a fan of leaving the word lit behind in 2010 that is not lit at all i'll tell you correct uh i am done hearing that that was lit okay so 2010 please 
let that die there. I've I've started to wean myself off Facebook more and more. I still have one, mm-hmm. and like if people add me, I'll still you know accept their friend request, whatever. Well, that's weird because my friend requested you, and that did not happen. So, yeah, well, I mean, you should know what you do. Uh, <laughs> there's still a screening process. There sure. is, yeah. That's there's right. still a little bit of a vetting that's process right, that, that yes. goes on. But like, I'm more active on, on Twitter, on Instagram, those two things. Facebook, like, it, it, it has a good purpose, but I think we've we've evolved beyond Facebook needing it. Mm. And I think there are people out there that need it a little too much a little more than than others i would agree i think it's more of the adult version of social media i think so that's gonna do it for us here on this thursday night thanks to brian shoning behind the glass for us we will be back with you next week we'll be reacting to week two of the preseason for the seahawks for the guru jake heaps i'm curtis rogers this has been seattle sports night on 710 espn seattle